Okay, you know what that is, yeah? That's a ziggurat. It's the Tower of Babel. Yeah. The one on the right is, is the new one. No. Tel Aviv. Yeah. Tel Aviv. They're building it right now. They're working on it. It's in this uh, big... All the other buildings in that picture are already up but this is the centerpiece of that particular little business community and it's uh, designed to look like the tower of babel because it's in israel yeah and the the designer says oh no 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 no, that's not true it's it's supposed to look like a torah scroll torah scroll but it's called the tower of babel Called the Tower of what? Tower of Babel. Oh, it, oh that that's what everybody calls it because that's exactly what it looks like. Yeah. And in, in all honesty, the Tower of Babel didn't look anything like that. <laughs> but uh, that's the impression that we're left with. You know, that's the artistic rendering of, and I, I, don't, I don't believe it at all. I don't believe it was shaped that way. But the point is they're building that in Israel of all places. Yeah. So... If you ever um, thought for even a brief moment that the current nation of Israel is the one you're reading about in the Bible, it's not. So there's, uh, there's today's proof. Okay, so let's move on from the Tower of Babel. And I, there's a couple of things I want to talk about. I don't know, did any of you guys listen to Jim Staley on Saturday try to explain? Yeah. Okay, a lot of you did. Most of you did. Okay, awesome. Um, Thanks for Netflix for explaining to me how to get there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I was uh, a little taken aback that he said he hadn't even looked at the words until he sat down there. Because as soon as I heard him, I went right to the Bible to try to. You know, so that kind of freaked me out a little bit. But anyway, I wanted to uh, go over a couple of things that have happened this week um, in his uh, vision or how, what do you want to call it? It said, and I think I'm quoting here, a tsunami is coming and will carry my chosen ones in the spirit across the banks of the Jordan into the first step of the promised land. And I have a good friend of mine who's an online listener, um, might be here tonight, I don't know. And he he sent me a text. I got to talk to you about this, but I can't text it. Okay. So, and I won't mention his name because I don't think he uh, wants this out, but he says, I, I, I've had visions for a long time. He says, I don't tell people that. And I said, yeah, okay. I get that. And he said, I, I've got to tell you about this one I've been having. And it's, uh, he says, it's a friend of mine that we both know. He's a very strong Christian. And the vision is he's walking on a beach. And then all of a sudden, this big tsunami comes and crashes over him. And, you know, and all the buildings go down and, you know, what tsunamis do. And he says he watches as all this happens. And, of course, he's, you know, he's sure his friend is gone. And um, the water recedes and there's his friend on the beach. 
totally dry and completely untouched. And so that's his vision, right? Is that this guy who, you know, like I say, he says he's a strong Christian, this guy we both know, um, was untouched by this tsunami. And he's, he's wrestling in his mind whether he should tell him. Because, you know, this is, I mean, he's going to go through a tsunami, right? And this is what brought it up to, to even discuss it, is this thing in Staley's thing about the tsunami. And, you know, you read the tsunami in his vision, in Staley's vision, and it seems, it's one of those things that seems a little out of place, but, you know, we'll go with it. So um, as I was praying about, you know, what he said, and of course, my advice to him was tell him. If he's a strong Christian, he knows he's going to be, you know, hit by a tsunami anyway. To me, it would be encouraging to know that you're coming out the other side just fine. And as I was considering that, I thought, well, gosh, I wonder if that vision, you know, is for us. I wonder if that's what he's thinking here, you know. And, and, and again, I would say the same thing. We all know there's a tsunami coming. I mean, it's, you know, we've seen it for two years and it's not going to get any better, although it's getting better. Um, and so that I thought that was important that, uh, <laughs> that we can, uh, <laughs> just have people getting up and walking around, you know, I guess, and smelly apparently. Okay. So I was thinking after thinking and praying about his vision that that could be for us because, you know, it's coming and it would be encouraging to know that we'll be okay on the other side. And we know we'll be okay on the other side, but anyway, I just thought I would mention that. Then in Staley's thing, he said three times, I've only got two of these. Uh, this is the moment where the scale of prayer is before men. This is the time where the true weight of the worth of men will be before me. And then he says somewhere else, the scales of prayer are before me and the hearts of those who call my name are in the eyes of my fiery ones who minister before me. So I uh, went to Revelation chapter 20 in verse 11, because, he, you know, even he mentions he's never heard anything about a book of prayer. You know, we read about the book of life. But what's this book of prayer thing or this? Uh, anyway, Revelation 20, verse 11, and says, And then I saw a great white throne and the one who sat on it, and the earth and heaven fled from his presence, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. And then it says, Also, another book was opened, the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works as recorded in the books. Wow. So there are multiple books. And I would suggest that one of those certainly must be the book of prayers. And that's been the whole purpose of the temple since there's been a temple is the incense represents the prayers of the saints. And we're entreated to pray without ceasing and pray all the time. Um, and it, makes sense that there would be a book of prayer in at the throne of God, right? That he keeps track of all that. And the way Staley's vision way, said it was this is where the true weight of the worth of men are. And I, you know, I, I, I wouldn't, I guess, disagree with that. So this is a call 
I think, uh, among other things, you know, to be more prayerful, to spend more time in prayer. And I've certainly uh, tried to do that. You guys uh, know from experience, I'm the world's worst prayer, but I try to pray because I'm just not very good at it. You hear these people that have all these giant prayers and they're just fabulous and wonderful and it's not me. Um, but I do try to pray a lot and I've been, uh, I'm always up between like two and four. So I've kind of tried to devote that to prayer. And my daughter, who knows that I never sleep, um, some time ago got me a journal of uh, for people who don't sleep. And it's got all these cool little sayings and stuff. And so I've been taking that and I taped one of my new song pins, which has a little flashlight at the end, to a regular pin. So now I can, you know, I can turn that on and I can write in the, in the journal because I kid you not, I get a lot of this stuff at those hours of night. And then I get up in the morning and I know it was fabulous. This was the best sermon ever. And I can't remember what it was. And so I have on occasion just gotten up and, and typed it upstairs, but now I'm using uh, the book my daughter gave me. So we'll see. Uh, in his vision or whatever you want to call it, it says the news will travel far and wide and the giants are falling, but only my chosen ones will feel the shaking of the ground beneath their feet and the fire of my presence before them. And the light of my flames will become more dim to those who choose to stay in the comfort of their desert. They will retire into the sunset like they have retired the power of my true word or the true power of my word. And we, uh, last week, Friday, was the day after several of those giants had fallen. The local city council, the health board, removed the mask mandate. The day before, England removed all the COVID restrictions. Israel is now publicly considering dropping the green pass. France is considering joining England in dropping all of that stuff. Uh, there are reports, although I, I wasn't able to confirm them, so I didn't put them on here, of other company, uh, countries, Germany and Czechoslovakia and different companies also dropping the, Ireland. Okay, well, that's sort of England. But yeah, dropping all the COVID requirements. So I would consider you know, that to be giants falling. 24, I didn't know this, 24 states in the United States have passed laws to uh, disallow someone to force you to have a vaccination. Mm -hmm. And there are different, and oddly, Ver, uh, Vermont is one of the strictest. They have this law that prohibits you, uh, the government, from telling you to do anything with your body whatsoever which is kind of weird. But anyway, 24 states have already passed those. 23 more states have those uh, on the docket. There's only three states in the union that have done nothing. Colorado, of course, is one. Um, and my buddy Damon from North Dakota, another online listener, uh, he reminded me that uh, to be looking out for the left hook to come. You know, if all this stuff all of a sudden starts to go away, he feels strongly and I would agree because he's usually right about things like this that it's just a it's just a scam because the left hook's coming something something bigger is coming but anyway it, it it's been good to hear all of these giants falling staley said they will drink from my cup and i will commission them with the anointing of nehemiah the guy who rebuilt the city 
They will be sustained, even funded by unlikely sources as I transfer from one account to another while they are sleeping. All that uh, all will see, but only those who have clean hands and a pure heart will actually eat from the grapes and drink from the new wine of my favor. And I may have mentioned this to some of you. I thought it was interesting that I had been having, um, I don't know, dreams, visions, whatever, of the the technocrats, you know, Schwab and all the rest, the guys who have trillions and trillions of dollars that Prince Andrew talks about, um, going to their computer and their bank balances are eight cents. And they go to their big, um, you know, wall vaults and they open it up and the only thing there's moths. And then he's, he says this. So I, you know, I just thought that was, man, oh man, <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> okay, so what is the current state of the world? You know, Biden is going to give a state of the union and the governor gives state of the state. Well, I'm going to give you a state of the world. Um, and this was, again, starting on Friday, I heard this for the first time, that the day before Thursday, an insurance company in the United States had said that um, they're going broke because this inordinate number of people between 18 and 64, non-COVID related, are dying. And, you know, they got to pay it off, right? And it was, it was a staggering amount. So as I was listening to three or four other insurance companies, not just here in the United States, but all over the world, have said the same thing. What they're saying is, uh, what they're seeing is a statistically impossible, is how they've worded it, chance of so many non-COVID-related deaths among healthy 18 to 64-year-olds. Stillbirths are up exponentially above the statistically impossible actuarial numbers. In some cases where there's an average, and this is Quebec, of 12 stillbirths a year in hospitals, they've had over 200 or they had over 200 last year and it's rising. The sudden unexpected deaths among athletes worldwide has risen from the statistical average of 10 to 18 a year. And you know, in this country, we would, we would always read about one or two, a kid in a high school or college goes out and drops dead of a heart attack and they find out he's had some structural issue with his heart, just never knew it. And, you know, so that does happen. And according to these guys, 12 to 18 times a year worldwide, you would expect a professional quality athlete to die from something that he didn't know he had or she. Um, it's 400 so far and continuing to rise. Uh, Bill Gates has said dozens of times it would be through vaccines and healthcare that he would be able to reduce the population of the world by 15%. Well, that's 125 million people. He just cavalierly says we can kill through vaccines and mandates. But Klaus Schwab, and we talked about this last week, does it one better, to reduce the world to a sustainable population he feels is 1 billion people. So that means 7 billion people must die. And how does one do that? He says of the 1 billion people that are left, 500 million will be Chinese and Japanese because they're so compliant. Um, yesterday, Dr. Merrill Nass, who is, you, you may not recognize the name, you may, it's one of the people that we've listened to over the last two years. And she's, she's actually Dr. Robert Malone's doctor, or his, his personal doctor. 
um, and she's been treating COVID patients for since this started with ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, and she's, you know, just absolutely got to do early treatment and all of that stuff. So she's on board with that, and she, you know, I've heard her with on some of these conferences with, you know, Malone and and McCullough and you know all the the usual guys. So yesterday, uh, they or the day before. Maine suspended her medical license and she was ordered to undergo a neurocognitive assessment because of course anybody who actually treats this disease and is making people well must be crazy. The health minister of England and the House of Commons are now under a criminal investigation from the London Metropolitan Police and they have a list of 24 crimes and hundreds of thousands of victims. They assigned 625 officers to gather information all over the world from people who have been damaged by the vaccine. And this is a result of Dr. Sam White, who's been a doctor in England, who's been adamantly against the vaccine, who has been proactive in treating with whatever was available, ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff that you can use. Well, he's, he's lost his license and he's now in exile in Brazil, but he got this suit rolling and he brought all the evidence to the Metropolitan Police that a crime had been committed and they reviewed the evidence and it was clear that a crime had been committed. So if any of you know of anybody <laughs> in England or Ireland or Scotland who's been vaccine injured, um, I have the QR code and the London Metropolitan Police would like to hear from them. So you think about the supply chain issues and the, and the shelves being vacant and you can't get enough stuff. Um, think about this. If the population is soon going to be depleted, we don't need all that stuff. We don't need all this transportation. We don't need to have all of that toilet paper and goat cheese and everything else on the shelf. <laughs> yes. If um, the London police are investigating to see you know, whoever's been damaged, how come this doctor can't get the license back? He ran away to another country. Well, I'm sure his life was threatened. Yeah. I don't know. But you would think if you you would it, think. Would well, then that's part of the investigation. If you read the 24 different crimes that the police are investigating, that's one of them that they've uh, falsely accused. And I assume that would include doctors, mm -hmm. of, you know, incorrect things. And the result is, you know, they've lost their jobs. They've, you know, and it's not just doctors. It's people have lost their jobs. Doctors have lost their licenses. You know, lawyers have not been allowed to practice, which probably isn't a bad thing. And, you know, and the whole list of it. So that's one of the 24 crimes they're investigating. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, and there's a bunch of stuff like that. All the countries that are getting rid of all this stuff. Um, I sent to some of you the bond to win thing. And it, if I sent you, you should read it because it's interesting. I had no idea that to be a government employee, you know, even a city councilor, or mayor, certainly the secretary of state, governors, you know, I assume senators, maybe even the president, you have to be bonded because we can't sue the government, but we can sue them. And I didn't know that. 
And what you do is you go after their bond and then you don't need a lawyer. You don't need a court. It's just between you and the bonding company. If you take evidence that they've committed a crime or that they've failed in their job, then you could sue the bond company and the bond company would be out the money. But the bond company is, has a power of attorney over the person they have the bond to. And if they lose money because you've done something wrong, they go after you and they sell your house, your cars, your business, whatever, to get that million or four million or whatever the bond is back. So these guys are bringing up the bond thing and all of a sudden city councils the next day are going, oh yeah, no, that's why we'll take the mandate away. Because they, once they lose their bond, they can't ever be rebonded. So they, they're personally responsible and they don't wanna be personally responsible. So all of this seems like, um, you know, pretty good news. But as Damon says, remember, the left hook is probably coming. So when's all this going to happen? <laughs> um, Revelation chapter 11, starting in verse 3. And this is weird. I, this is another one of these things that's in the book, that's in my little book that I got at night. And you talk about the end times and all this stuff. And you've talked, I mean, there's so many people talking about it, been talking about it forever. This is one of these verses they never talk about. And I will give power unto my two witnesses and they shall prophesy a thousand, two hundred and three score days closed in sackcloth. And these are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before Elohim of the earth. And this is from Zechariah 4.3. And if any man hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devour their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have the power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy and have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to smite the earth with all the plagues as often as they will. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the streets of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom in Egypt, where also our Adonai was crucified. So has that happened yet? Is it figurative? I mean, it's pretty specific. 1260 days, 42 months, three and a half years, these guys are going to prophesy. And then the beast that ascends from the bottomless pit will come up and overcome them. Okay, well, if, you have, if you're given that there's three and a half years of an event to happen, and it's not some ethereal, you know, there's two witnesses, and where are they? They're in the holy city, right? They're in Jerusalem. And they're prophesying in, off in a corner so nobody knows, right? So the whole world can hear them. Well, I don't think that's happened. And I... I, every time I've made, well, I shouldn't say that, but most of the big mistakes I've made in interpreting scripture, because I don't take it literally enough. And, and this seems so literal because it has a specific amount of days. And this event is more, more or less repeated in Zechariah chapter four. It hasn't happened. And I expect it will happen. Now I get it, you know, Twitter and Facebook and YouTube, even if it was happening, they would censor it. But word would get out. These people are going to be prophesying, testifying sackcloth. in sackcloth and ashes, or at least in sackcloth, about the goodness of God, about the truth of the God of Abraham, Yitzhak, and 
and and uh, the other guy, Yakov, thank you, um, for three and a half years. And then the end will come. Then the Antichrist or the beast will come and will kill these two and everybody will see it. And they'll lie on the streets and it says, it goes on, it says a lie in the streets for three and a half days. And then they'll hear a voice from heaven, come up here and they will rise to heaven. Okay, well, now that's something. <laughs> you know, you don't see that every day. Yeah, and very specific and literal, and it's three and a half years. So as I'm considering when's all this going to happen, and this again is listening to the Staley thing, he, you know, he, he wasn't, he didn't push this very hard, but he said in the songbird of spring, and he think he said something like, well, you know, this might be starting in the spring. Okay, but the end apparently can't come until the three and a half years are done with the witnesses. So you have to have the two witnesses first. And I don't see the two witnesses. And I, I, I guess it could be figurative somehow, you know, and I've listened to people. There's one specific church that I won't mention. Um, they believe, and they give you all kinds of reasons that are not as outlandish as you might think, why this couldn't be uh, Elijah and Enoch or Moshe and Elijah. Or, you know, they say it has to be uh, people from today. And it has to be pastors who know what they're talking about. So it's probably going to be two pastors, you know, and the implication is from our church. <laughs> they, they didn't say that, but that's the obvious implication, that it's going to be two of their guys, you know, because they have some really bright guys. And they do have some really bright guys. But it hasn't happened. Even according to them, it hasn't happened yet. So that would, to me, be as we're considering, you know, oh, my gosh, is it going to happen in spring, like Staley said? The end, the return of Yeshua can't happen until this is done. So there's, you know, three plus years, even if it, happened, it started today, there would still be three plus years before the beast would rise up and kill these two. And, and, and then they would. Yeah. So. And that fits in to me anyway, with the vision of the tsunami, because the tsunami will come and crush a lot of stuff. But there will be people, at least this one guy, left standing completely unscathed. And that would be RMO, right? If, if, if Yeshua comes, when he returns, if he's going to regather his, his house of Israel, and if that's us, um, we will essentially be unscathed even after the giant tsunami that's to come. And we're going through uh, perhaps the beginning part of that tsunami now. And I suspect it's going to get worse and it may get better before it gets worse. Um, but anyway, I would, as some sort of homework, I would have you read Revelation chapter 11 through Revelation 18. And just think about what it says and think about the timing in light of, you know, the things that we're going to be talking about when we actually get to the Bible study. Um, okay, and remember this, and this is a, uh, a compilation of several different versions, so you won't be able to read it exactly like this, but this is Luke 12, chapter, uh, chapter 12, starting in verse 49, and it says, I have come to cast judgment on the earth, how I wish it had already started. 
I have a baptism of great suffering with which to be baptized, and how greatly I am distressed until it is accomplished. Do you suppose that I came to grant peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, five in one household will be divided, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided father against son, and son against father, and mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, and mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. That's already I know, that's already happened. It's been happening probably since there were fathers and sons and mothers and daughters. But... <laughs> I wasn't thinking of that so much as, you know, all of us, or at least most of us in this room have, I think all of us in this room have family members and certainly friends, good close friends, uh, children, grandchildren that are not on board. And it seems like they may be left. And it's of, you know, great concern in each of our households for those children that um, seem as though they may not go. I mean, if, 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 if Yeshua was to come tomorrow, would they be regathered? Would they be raptured? However you want to look at it. And obviously, I don't know. Like, you know, none of us know what the heart of another is. We don't even know what our own heart is. But it's... Uh, it's the same thing with Lot, you know, don't look back. You need to focus on your relationship with Yahuwah and not anybody else's. And we can lead by example, we can teach, we can do whatever we can do to get them on board. But ultimately, we never want to be in a situation where if he's coming tomorrow, because he's going to come as a thief in the night, you know, we're not really going to know and we're going to be surprised and the first reaction is going to be we're going to reach out, you know, turn and reach out and try to get those lost kids or friends or relatives on board. And we can't do that. We can't look back because, you know, we each stand or fall on our own. There's nothing I can do for anybody else. I have to stand in front of the Lord by myself and they will too. So once, once that moment in time comes, don't be Lot's wife and look back, but understand that um, this is happening in every family. It's not just your family or my family or, you know, and, and, and Yahuwah knows it. And I'm sure he has made some sort of provision. But okay, if that's the bad news, this is the good news. Romans 10, 9. And you should know this by heart. If you shall confess with your mouth Adonai Yeshua and shall believe in your heart that Elohim hath raised him from the dead, then you shall be saved. So it's, it's, uh, it's actually pretty simple. Do you confess with your lips? Do you talk to other people? Do you use every opportunity you have to share the truth? You know, and I know you guys do. And do you, do you really believe in your heart that the father raised the son from the grave so that we could see that's how it works? And, and we do. And I go back to uh, every Catholic that I know, or Lutheran, or probably even most Methodists, would agree with this. 
you know, and if that's all it takes to be saved, then you can take some comfort in knowing they're going to be saved, right? You're not saved because you know enough or because your deeds are good or because you've given enough money or you've uh, led people to salvation with the Lord or uh, you've baptized enough people. There's no there's no amount that you have to fill in. You just have to believe in your heart and confess with your lips. And obviously everybody in this room falls into that category. And I would guess that a lot of um, our children, friends, family would fall into this too, even though we look at it and go, oh my gosh, they're never going to get there. It's not up to us for one. And it's a pretty low bar in a sense so so then the obvious question is well if that's true then why do we spend all this time trying to learn you know about his instructions and because it almost seems like a little waste of time because we're already going so what's the deal so john <laughs> that's right so john 15 14 if you love me keep my commandments so it's just like well it's just like your spouse you know if you love them you will do things for them that you may not do for other and you want to do those things and that's how it should be with us just because you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart or i would say on, on account of the fact you confess with your lips and believe in your heart that should you should want to do these things you should want to follow after the things of the lord you should want to draw closer to him um, okay sure now she's airing dirty laundry <laughs> Allowed to go inside the tabernacle, right? Or right, right, yeah. The gathering area most of those people, or maybe on the outside of that, you know what I mean? Maybe right. not in the fires in hell, but you're also not able to go <laughs> to the best place, you know? yeah. There are these series of concentric circles, and that's um, in uh, the book uh, Bill brought, you know, the um, yeah, the Hoftor, the Torah portions. <sighs> not cloud what's his oh brad scott um he's got a big thing on the circles of righteousness and all of those uh you know and the picture is obviously the temple as you just described you've got the holy of holies and then the holy place and then the uh, court of the gentiles or the court of the women or you know okay so we do want to be in the best place and i'm not sure that that's bad so when you read scripture you read about the bema seat of judgment and y'all know what a bema seat is, yeah? You do? What? Yeah, what's the bema seat? Yeah, but what is it? Why is it important? Why do we have to have a bema seat? Do you know what a bema seat is? In Greece, when you were having the Olympics, and you have, say, a race, and they didn't have electronic timing machines. So what they would do is they had a seat at the start finish line and there was a guy who sat in that bema seat 
And as the runners went by, he was the guy that would identify who's in first place, who's in second place, who's in third place. Well, you read about the Bema seed in scripture several times. Well, twice anyway. Well, that's what it is. That's the guy. And of course, both times you read about it, he's talking about, uh, yeah, the judge, Yahuwah. That's the guy who's assigning first, second, third place. Well, so that kind of gives you the impression that there are these concentric circles and there are these levels and, you know, there are going to be people in the better spots and people maybe, you know, not, and as I was growing up in, um, well, not growing up, I was 35, but as I was learning about this whole salvation thing, I always thought, man, I don't care. I'd be, I'll be the toilet cleaner as long as I get in, right? That's what everybody said. I don't care as long as I get in. I'll be the lowest of the low. And, you know, it's good to say that, but it's not probably true. We would all rather be, you know, because we know that there are four angels around him. Well, those jobs are taken. We can't get one of those. And then there are the 12 elders and those jobs are taken. We can't get one of those, but we could be, you know, up there somewhere near the whole foundations and near the main stage. Right. So um, that's one of the reasons I think we do this, but you know, the main reason would be the more, you know, the more you can share. And when people are curious and ask, and I'm sure they've done this, to us before as new Christians, people will ask you questions and you don't know the answer. And that's not helpful. <laughs> well, just a minute, let me go get somebody that knows. Well, I mean, okay, that's a fallback position. It would be better if you knew, if you could answer their question. And honestly, it doesn't take much to be more biblical literate than your average Christian. So I would suggest already you guys have got that going for you. But that would be a reason, um, I would think, that you would want to move up in the, in the position as you're crossing the finish line for the judge at the Bema seat. Okay, uh, Revelation 22:12. Behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to render every man according to what he has done. Well, that's interesting. Romans 14, 10 through 12. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat, the bema of the Meshach, or the Messiah. For it is written, as I live, saith Yahuwah, I spelled that wrong, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to Elohim. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to Elohim. So there's, you know, and you can read this a hundred places in scripture. There's this idea that it's not all, you know, it's not all general seating. There's going to be lawn seats and nosebleed seats and, you know, and it would be good no matter what to get in. It doesn't matter. And when you get in, everybody throws their crowns down at the feet of the Lord anyway, but still. So the Bema seat is this whole idea is, you know, something to consider. Um, so speaking of obedient, uh, there are 50 or so verses that I've discovered so far that speak about the house of Israel being scattered, regathered, and returned to live in the land of Israel. And I think the discussion is important for a number of reasons. 
not the least is which this discussion between the the pre-tribulation rapture and this idea of well it's not an idea it's clearly expressed in scripture that when yeshua comes back for the second time is when he regathers all of israel and he brings them back to the land and um, well yeah the, the house of israel it says he's going to regather them from the nations there they currently live and return them to israel to the nation of israel to the promised land just like what they did you know in, in the exodus and that's why paul said in first corinthians we living at the end times are to look to the exodus generation as an example and we're to do or not do the things that they did or did not do in order to be able to get into the promised land well if we're if if we're looking at that um okay let me give you a quick little timeline um I'm going to summarize the basics of the Bible. The people of you who are called Israel in the beginning, and they go to Egypt as 70, and they emerge as two to three million. Then they head to the promised land, but they sin repeatedly and are disallowed into uh, entry. And as a result of, or as a result of their lack of faith, their children are allowed 40 years later with only two of the original millions who believed in Yahuwah, Caleb, the Gentile, and Joshua, the Hebrew. The 12 tribes became 12 people, and due to sin, 10 are scattered to the world and two are punished in Babylon, but some of the Babylon returns. Yahuwah promises to regather the house of Israel and join it once again to the house of Yehuda at the return of Yeshua. This is not all rainbows and unicorns, as there is a war and death and a very a day of darkness and gloominess. And we can talk about that on another day. <laughs> That's right. The regathered with Yeshua shall rule for and reign for a thousand years, but we're not in heaven yet. Uh, the new heaven and the new Jerusalem will descend from heaven at the end of the thousand years. So we'll be on the same earth uh, with the same people, but without the false prophet and the beast, and Yeshua will be in our midst to rule and reign. Um, so that's the quick version of what's going to happen. And then we add to that and change to that and read into it. And all these, that's how you get 4,300 different denominations. They've all got to twist little parts of this. No, 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 that's not right. It happens this way. I don't know. I mean, I'm, you know, what am I to say? But it's worth noting that through all of these verses, if you read it in the original language, there is no church. There's the house of Yehuda, the Jews. There's the house of Israel, Israel. And then there's the Gentiles. Okay, so in this picture, uh, Yahuwah scatters the house of Israel around, you know, the, into Assyria, which is north of the nation of Israel. And they become members of all the countries of the world because they never went back. And we've read in, in previous messages um, all sorts of rabbis and discussions that everyone agrees they've never come back. They're not even part of the nation of Israel anymore. They weren't back then. These, the, the house of Yehuda wrote them off. They're not part of us anymore. They can't come back. So we know that they never came back. But the, the Yehudim who went to Babylon after 70 years, some of them did come back. And they did rebuild the temple. And they did rebuild Jerusalem. And 
they are to this day the Jews, the Yehudim. Those are the people who still live there. But there's no church. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago or a month ago or whatever it was. There's no church. There's, there's no third group. So the third group are those who don't believe. Those are the people we will rule and reign over in the thousand years. Those are the people who live here on earth now, but do not choose to follow the God of Israel, right? Those are the Gentiles. That's the third group. The only two that are regathered are the house of Israel and the house of Yehuda. So then the question is, well, where do we fit in? And so many of these 4,300 denominations have said, oh, well, we're the church. Duh. We've replaced Israel. Well, that's not exactly true. Um, if we want to be regathered, we have to become part of the house of Israel. And if you read Ezekiel 37, it talks about the house of Yehuda and their companions, those who have joined themselves, and the house of Israel and their companions. Well, I would suggest we're the companions of the house of Israel. We follow their God. We attempt to do their, you know, believe their Torah. We, we try to obey the commandments. We, we, we try to live as the house of Israel should live. So we are, in a sense, Hebrew, right? We became Hebrew when we crossed over. And when we crossed over to become in the house of Israel, then we can be regathered. So, you know, and I think we've made that point before. Um, all right, so let's start the Bible study. Here's the discussion verse. Because every time I want to have a verse that you could ask your friends and your family, hey, I was reading this. What do you think this means? So let's read this verse. It's from Yermayahu or Jeremiah, chapter 16, um, starting in verse 14. And it said, therefore, behold, the days are coming, says Yahuwah, that it shall no more be said, Yahuwah lives, who brought the children of Israel up from the land of Egypt. But instead, or but Yahuwah lives, who brought the children of Israel up from the land of the north and all the lands he had driven them. For I will bring them back to their land, which I gave to their fathers. Now, it doesn't get really any clearer than that. There are so many people that when you start talking to them about, you know, Old Testament stuff and these regathering, they say, oh, that, that happened, you know, when, when, when uh, God took the Jews from Egypt and he took them to the promised land. That's what they're talking about. Well, Yermiyahu says, no, <laughs> that's not what they're talking about. It's, it's the second regathering. It's when they're going to bring the house of Israel out of the nations in which he had scattered them. Um, so when you, if you were to ask one of your friends to read that verse or what they thought of that, when, do, when, hey, Bill, when do you think this happened or has this happened? And he'll probably say, oh, that was just talking about the Exodus. But read it again. He's saying specifically, it's not talking about the Exodus. It's talking about the second time he regathers them. So then they'll say, oh, that's talking about when all the Jews came to the new nation of Israel from Russia. 
All right. Well, no, that's pretty common because there was, there was a huge uh, exodus of people from the world who came to Israel in 1948, 49, still do, you know, making Aliyah, coming back to, to their home. And they'll say, oh, that's what it's talking about them. But the issue with that is that's not the Israel of the Bible. The Israel of the Bible is created by Yeshua when he returns a second time. So has, re has he returned a second time, Bill? I must have missed it. Well, no, you know, there's no way for them to explain this. And the, and the point is to try to get them to start thinking, right? So um, the picture that I started with, that they're building the Tower of Babel in Tel Aviv, that should be proof positive that the nation of Israel is not the one in the Bible. It was not created when Yeshua returned a second time. Uh, okay, Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 17. Therefore, say, thus says Yahuwah Elohim, I will, gather, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you from the countries where you have been scattered. I will give you the land of Yisrael, or Micah 2.12. I surely will assemble all of you, Yahav, which is Israel, which is us, and I will surely gather the remnant of Israel, and I will put them together like the sheep of the fold, like the sheep, of sheep, like a flock in the midst of their pasture. They shall make a loud noise because of so many people. Matthew 24, 31. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. So you, you know that when Yeshua came the first time, it was to the sounds of trumpets, because I believe it was on the Feast of Trumpets. And when he comes the second time, he's going to come to the sound of trumpets. And we've read that, you know, a number of different verses. So he's going to regather, it says, these people from the four corners of the earth, because now the house of Israel is scattered in every country, probably every county on earth. And he's going to regather his people, the house of Israel, those who have joined themselves to him from all of these countries. Well, how does that work? Do you get like a ticket in the mail? And if you've got your mask and your COVID test and you're approved, you get a ticket on El Al to go to Israel or something? Or is he just going to regather them? Is he just going to bring them? If he reached out to every house of Israel member on the entire earth in the four corners of the earth and said, come home, and you came home, would you call that a rapture? Would a snatching away, a harpazo, all of a sudden, you know, you're living in Salem, Massachusetts, or uh, London, or, you know, wherever, and then you're not. You're all of a sudden in Israel. I mean, how can you not say that's the rapture or a rapture? Second um, Thessalonians 2, 1 through 4. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Adonai Yeshua HaMashiach, are gathering together to him, 
we ask you not to soon be shaken in mind or trouble, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Yahuwah is at hand. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed and the son of perdition who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called Elohim or worship, so that he is Elohim sitteth in the temple of Elohim, showing himself that he is Elohim. <clears throat> so there are some things that have to happen. There has to be this falling away. And there's been great debate. What does that mean? Right? Because people have been falling away from the Lord since he, he arrived. Right? There have always been people falling away. And we can cite the third century when, when we got the Roman church, when great numbers of people fell away from the truth of Scripture. And since the third century to today. There have been people who believe, who knows why they believe the things they believe, but they're certainly fallen away from the truth of Scripture. But it says that this, the, the son of perdition, this man of sin, must be revealed. Okay, so we haven't seen the two witnesses, and we haven't seen the beast. So there's a, there's, there's a time block there of at least three and a half years that once those things start to play out, and I would assume that if we turned on, um, nobody turns on CNN anymore, but if you turned on some news or whatever, and you saw that there were two strange looking lads in Jerusalem, probably at the Temple Mount or maybe at the Wailing Wall or something. And they were prophesying night and day about the truth of Scripture, the truth of the Torah, not the truth of that denomination or this denomination or that group or this group, the actual truth of the Torah. If they were telling uh, just endlessly the truth of the book and leading people to know who God really was, from that day forward, now the first day, first couple of days, first week, maybe the first month, you might not think that that's, you know, that's these two guys. But eventually, you're going to come to believe when they start turning water into blood and there's no rain for a period of time, that those are really the guys in this book. So you can backtrack to when they started. And you know they have, and they're very specific, 1,260 days. After the 1,260 days, the beast will come and kill them. And they'll lie in the street for three and a half days. Yahuwah will say, come up here. They will come back to life and rise in heaven in front of everybody. And then Yeshua will come back within some amount of time. So you know pretty closely from the time of the, the two witnesses how long it's going to be until Yeshua comes and regathers his people. So the question then is, how does the pre-tribulation rapture fit in this? Because the pre-tribulation rapture says the entire church, remember the group that doesn't exist in scripture except in Greek translated into English, that church gets taken away and doesn't have to go through any of this stuff. So the church will get taken away three and a half years before the two witnesses. And for seven years, they're parked somewhere 
waiting for all this to play out on Earth. Okay, that's probably what most of us believe for a long time. Perhaps some of us still believe that. And it's, you know, I mean, it's, it's a nice hope. <laughs> I don't really see it in Scripture, though. But it's interesting, in any of these verses, no one alludes to the destination of the pre-tribulation rapture. And it doesn't actually say pre-tribulation rapture in any of these verses. But if, if, if we believe that the, the church, the non-existent church, is going to be taken away, where are they going? Well, let me just read a couple things. First Thessalonians uh, 4 starting in verse 15. For this we say unto you by the word of Yahuwah, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of Yahuwah will by no means precede those who are asleep. For Yah himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of Elohim, and the dead in Mashiach will rise first, and those who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet Yah in the air. And thus we shall always be with Yahuwah. Well, is it a pre-tribulation rapture or is this the regathering spoken of in 60 or 70 verses? Um, it's interesting that Shaul, Paul, who wrote this and the first Corinthians verse and a lot of the other pre-trib verses, Never said when. There's no mention of it happening before the tribulation. He just says it happens. And, and be snatched up and caught up in the air. Well, he doesn't say where. Where, where, where are you going? Where's the air? What, what do you mean? I'm hanging out up there for seven years? I'm just floating in air for seven years? I mean, I don't... I, I, maybe... You know, I, I, I don't know, but Paul never explained it. Nobody ever explained it. Let me give you another verse, and you don't have this one. Zechariah 14.4, And in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from the east to the west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north, and half of it to the south. So you know who that is, right? When he comes back and he sets foot on, on, on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. Who is that guy? Yes, of course, it's Yeshua. He's coming, this is his second come, right? This is, this is his second return and it's to the trumpets and he puts his foot on the city of Jerusalem. So are there a bunch of guys still hanging out in the air? I mean, they, you know, they, they're, they're jo joining him in the air. Did they come with him? Uh, oddly, it doesn't mention them here if they do. Um, I don't know. Mo and, you know, and again, we don't, I think maybe what I'll do, because there are so many verses, it's just, and I keep finding more every day, that talk about the regathering of the house of Israel and the return to, to the land of Israel. And actually, it's not to the land of Israel. It's on, on the wrong side of the Jordan River. We will come back and be on the wrong side of the Jordan River. And then, um, let me see if I've got this. Okay, well, let me read. This is a good one. Yermayahu 31, 
uh, starting in verse 9. It said, they shall come with weeping and supplications. I will lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way, which they shall not stumble. For I am father to Israel. Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of Yahuwah, O nations, and declare it unto the isles far off, which would be us, and say unto he who scattered Israel will gather him and will keep him as a shepherd uh, does his flock. I can read that 60 times, 50 times from almost every book uh, in the Old Testament and a number of books in the New Testament. He scatters and he gathers and he brings them back to the land. Well, we know when Yeshua is going to come back. It's not in the middle of the tribulation. It's not at the beginning of the tribulation. It's at the end of the tribulation. And it's at the end. It's when he returns that he regathers the house of Israel. So, how does that square with the pre-tribulation rapture where we get out of here before all that stuff? And I don't think it does. I don't see it. any, And it doesn't even make sense to me because what would be the purpose in taking all of the testimony of God off the planet just at the time when the world needs the testimony the most? That was the whole idea with Goshen, right? They were there, and God was not judging them. He was judging everybody else. And the Egyptians were able to look down into Goshen and see that the people of Israel weren't going through all this. So I've maintained that as the world, as this tsunami crashes over all of us, the world is, is going to be destroyed. The people in the world are going to be destroyed. They have, there's nothing for them to hold on to. They have no faith in anything. But I would bet you that the people of God, just like uh, my friend's vision, will be unscathed. And the world's going to look at that and go, well, what about those guys? How come they're getting through all this? That's your testimony. And if you, if you follow the analogy through, the people in Goshen left Egypt and they went to the promised land. Well, that, that's what we're going to do, right? We're going to leave Goshen and have a little tribulation on the way and we'll get to the promised land. And how does a pre-tribulation rapture fit in that? I mean, in a macro sense, it's all the same because we would all get there. But in the more micro sense, I don't think it fits. Okay, let me, uh, let me just read a couple more verses and then we'll be done for tonight. Ezekiel 36, starting in verse 22. Therefore say unto the house of Israel, saith Adonai Yehia, Yehua, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations will know that I am Yahuwah, says Adonai Yahuwah, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes, for I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all the countries, bring you into your own land, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. 
I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols, and I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a new heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will dwell, you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your Elohim. I will deliver you from all your uncleanness and I will call for the grain and multiply it and bring no famine upon you. And I will multiply the fruit of your trees and the increase of your fields so that you never need again bear the reproach of famine among the nations. Well, that's awesome. But did you notice that even his people Yeshua or Israel need to be cleansed? He's bringing us from all over the world, from the four corners of the earth. He's bringing us into the land of Israel, but he's parking us outside the Jordan River so that he can sprinkle us with clean water and clean us and put a new heart in our, in, in, uh, soften our heart. And he has to do that because we're filthy. We have a hard heart. And yet it has to happen. Well, in the Mishkan, and then there's also Mishkan in heaven. Yes, there is. But that's a thousand years hence. Yeah. That's that's much later. But pardon me? Okay, yeah, that's a good idea. Sprinkling water, baptism, sure, absolutely. But the point is that even if you're regathered, that doesn't mean you're clean, and that doesn't mean you're ready to go. But you're available. You know, if, if he cleans you, you will accept it. You're, you're, I think we're all looking for that new heart to replace the stony one we have, to get rid of the filth of the world that covers us. And I think that's the difference between maybe us and, and them. There are people who claim to be Christians, and don't think they would need this. Oh, I'm already clean. I'm good to go. You don't need to sprinkle me. You don't need to change my heart. I'm good. Just get out of my way so I can get into the promised land. I don't know. I think it's worth knowing that we know, we should know that we need to be cleansed, and, and we should be looking forward to that, and we should be changed. Okay. Ezekiel eleven seventeen through 20. Therefore saith Adonai Yehu, I will gather you from the peoples. I will assemble you from the countries where you have been scattered. I will give you the land of Israel. And they will go there and they will take away its detestable things and its abominations from there. I will give them one heart and put a new spirit within them. And I will take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a new heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them. And they shall be my people and I will forever be their Elohim. So again, I just, I started this by showing you the Tower of Babel being erected in the nation of Israel. And Ezekiel is saying here that when we come in for the last time, when Yeshua regathers us and brings us to Israel and cleans us and sets, puts us across the, the Jordan, he's going to say, clean the place up. Get rid of all the detestable stuff. So what does that tell you? That there's filth and detestable stuff 
where the nation of Israel is now. And I just showed you that with the Tower of Babel. So that can't be the nation of Israel that's in the Bible, but it will be because he's going to bring us there and clean the place up. Um, all right. So that's probably good for today. But there are a bunch of verses, and one of them, I guess I didn't bother to put in here or missed, is the one about um, he's going to bring, he's going to regather us to the nation of Israel, but he will park us outside, out across the Jordan River, and he will, uh, it says, purge the rebels from among us. And he will cast them out before the rest of us cross the Jordan and go to the promised land. So think about that. Of all the people that are going to be gathered, raptured, if you will, regathered, taken to the land of Israel, once they're there, he's going to purge out the rebels from among that group. So just being raptured or just being regathered doesn't mean you're saved. There are still going to be rebels that are needed to be purged, and all of us will need to be clean. And after we're clean, and after we have a new heart, and after the filth is gone, he will send us into the, the presumably the current nation of Israel to get rid of all the detestable things, because there's so many detestable things in there, because that's not the nation he created. But when he arrives, it will be the nation of Israel, because he's bringing his people with him that will do all those things. And I suggest those people will be us. It'll be the house of Israel, those people who have joined themselves to the God of Israel. And if you're, you know, if, if you're one of those guys that are clinging to their pew and, you know, believe it's all about the Pope or all about their church or all about their group, you're not going, or you're going to get purged at the, at, at the water line because that's not what it's about. There is no third group. Well, there's no saved third group. There is a third group, but you don't want to be a part of it because those are the people that are outside the gate. It calls them, well, we'll get into that next week. Now, there are people that will be, we'll be able to see them from the other side of the river. And we don't want to be them. We want to be in the promised land. So, okay, sorry, there we go.